It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Well, good morning, everyone. The Monday edition of Daily Thunder. We have students arriving, I don't know, is it Saturday? Uh, that the students are arriving, so this is the Monday of that week, and so we're prepping the campus and uh, just sort of spiritually excited. We love uh, having students on campus, and it's just such a special uh, time for us, and so after the Christmas break, things get a little uh, quiet around here, and we get to start hearing some noise again. Uh, I'm going through a four-part series. I started it on Friday. My Sunday message yesterday was, uh, I, I don't even want to say off topic, it was just not a part of this series, it was actually, there's a lot of similarities uh, to it, and that was called the 69th attempt, but if you ever see this as a series in the future, uh, you won't see that one included. I'm going through uh, what I'm calling defying the enemy voices, and on Friday I, I, I went through the voice of despair. Uh, the very specific tactic or movement of the enemy against the soul of the Christian to get them to give up, to get them to let go, to get them to set down their arms. I mean, here we are as Christians, stronger and more powerful than our enemy because we are in Christ. And yet somehow we can be duped to give up and to actually consider the task that we've been assigned too hard, too difficult, and impossible, and therefore we despair and we give up. This is actually of a similar nature, I could say. Uh, all of these will be, uh, because they're all enemy attacks against the soul. But I'm going to call this one the voice of diminishment. And this is something that I am extremely, bless you, extremely familiar with. Uh, it's, um, it's not that, I, probably all of these I could say I'm very familiar with. This one, I've probably had more uh, time spent with it <laughs> than many, maybe any other voice. I had a three-year period leading up to Ellerslie. So in the three years prior to us launching this ministry here in Windsor, where all day long, every day, I had something speaking to me. And I know that just sounds terrible, sounds very weird too, and I don't even really like saying it. It's just, this is just what happened. And it was, you're nothing, no one wants to hear what you have to say. The, the culture is set against this. The church doesn't want it. Just give up. And it was very interesting. It's like, who are you to think that you have anything to give? Uh, and at first, it was extremely oppressive and difficult. And like Paul, when it says that you know, there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, and he prayed three times. Well, I prayed more than three times. And it was like, God, I know the authority I have in Christ, and I know this isn't you speaking and I would take authority over it, and it would still talk. And what God taught me through that is that his grace is sufficient, and that I actually began to live in such a way where that voice could be speaking, and it had no effect upon me. In fact, I got to the point where that voice could be speaking, and it only charged me to pray all the more. It actually supercharged my spiritual life. And so what the enemy was meaning for evil, I actually saw turn into a greater strength. Okay, which is somewhat of the platform I'm building on in these four sessions is that exact principle. In other words, we ought not to fear 
the fact that the enemy is going to come against us. It's just that we need to know the tools to properly address it. Because it's hard when I use the term voices, it's a little spooky uh, too. We have a lot of weird conceptions of spiritual things. And so when I add the word voices in there, you know, God has a voice and he speaks to us. We have a voice where we speak to ourselves. Our flesh speaks to us. The enemy speaks. He does. I don't know how it works, to be honest with you, uh, how a voice gets in. It's not an audible voice for any of us that have walked through this, but we know there's suggestions being presented to us. There's notions that are being presented to us. I, I can't articulate how that all works. I just know it does. And so in this process, there is a voice that wants to tell you you're nothing, you're worthless, give up. No one wants to hear what you have. You're past your prime. You're expired. Oh, maybe you had your day, but it's no longer. It, it, it takes on many forms. So let's uh, enter into this. Uh, this is sort of a theme scripture for the series. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. One of the reasons that I'm not shy to talk about these voices, you know, because I could think of myself in need of a psychiatric ward with how much noise goes on inside the life of Eric Ludi, right? However, I recognize that the same sufferings are being experienced by my brotherhood in the world. In other words, the reason I bring it up is because I know that other Christians are dealing with these things. We just don't know how to process it. We don't know if we have a unique problem, the fact that we have all this stuff being presented to us, or if this is actually normal Christianity, because it didn't feel like triumphant normal Christianity, when in actuality, it's actually a signal, if you want to look at it this way, that you're doing something right. The devil has limited resource, and, you know, the reason I know that is because it says that uh, Lucifer, the devil, took one-third of the angelic host, which means you can number this angelic host. It's not an infinite multitude. It's a divisible number. So, therefore, he has one-third, which means God has double the resource. But it also means that the enemy has limited numbers. So, what he does in his strategic maneuvers has to be thought through. It has to be strategized. And he is going to take his resource and he's going to spend it on those that prove to be the greatest threat. So if you're getting a lot of attention from the enemy, you might as well take it as a compliment. So here's the four specific enemy voices. I'm putting voices in quotes. Uh, I don't want to draw too much attention to the word voices. And there are, there are more uh, than this, but this is a good starting point uh, for us to discuss through in this four-part series. The voice of despair is what I covered on Friday. Today's the voice of diminishment. I'm going to go through the voice of pride on Wednesday. And the voice of pride might be better stated the voice of self-interest or self-protectiveness or self-justification. Because when the enemy attacks, he, he wants to turn us. He wants to get us to reflect inward. It's a, it's a unique and special tactic of the enemy that many of us have spent good amounts of time in our life falling for. And then the voice of fear uh, is the one I'm going to address on Friday. So I told you that there were three straight years that I dealt with a very, very intense barrage of the enemy. And it's interesting because at the ending of that season, like it did end, okay? That's why I can number it as three years. 
it did end, and I was very grateful to have it end, but it was interesting because while it was progressing near the end, it no longer was bothering me. I literally just, you could say lived with it, but triumphed with it. I, li- I had a smile on my face. I knew he was making me stronger. It's like, devil, you can continue, but I'm only getting stronger with every time you keep speaking. And so here I am. Leslie and I adopted little Kipling, and we also found out at the same time when we were bringing him home that we were pregnant with little Abby. And Leslie suffers from some extreme morning sickness in her early months of pregnancy. So now we have a newborn, and Leslie is not doing well. Uh, And so... I made a tactical decision to help her sleep because she wasn't getting any sleep. And so I took little uh, Kip, called Dub, down to the living room and I was feeding him every two hours. And it's, it's not the easiest season of child development, I'll say that. But it was a very, very special spiritual time for me because when you're feeding every two hours, you're not just starting the feeding every two hours, but then the child has to feed And that takes forever when they're a newborn. And so you feel like your gaps in between are like a half hour. And so you lay back down to go to sleep. And then you might as well not even sleep because you're waking back up to feed. And so I was in this state. I don't even know what to call it, but sort of a half awake state, like all night long praying. And this happened day after day after day. And it was one of the most special seasons apart, almost like my Arabia uh, apart with God down in our living room with little dub and while I was, I was laying back down on the couch uh, to try and get a little shut-eye in this, and I felt like God spoke to me. I know this is, again, going to sound really weird, and I, I'm risking a lot by giving this, this series because it, it can make me sound like I'm overly sensitive to demonic things. I actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about demons and Satan. I, think I spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus. However, sometimes it's important to put a finger on the work of the enemy so you can notate what it is that's happening. And I had spent three years with this voice telling me that, you know, I'm a pile of junk, basically. And I felt like God spoke to me. And this is what I heard, okay? It's on the screen right now. It's Rafar that opposes you. Now, that is such an obscure statement. I mean, how, how, would, any, how would even I know what that is? And I even thought that at the time, but I knew what that meant. Because God was speaking my language. When God speaks to us, he knows how we understand have you ever had one of those dreams where you have a dream, it's totally obscure, but you know what it means? And it's like, how do you even know what it means? Even in the dream, you could know what it means. It's like, how do I know what that means? That is such a weird thing. But it's almost like God comes prepackaged with understanding so that you get it. And for me, this one statement had a huge impact on my life. I know it sounds really stupid. Like, well, why, why would that help you, Eric? It's Rafar that opposes you. Well, God knew, and I'm not trying to do a marketing campaign for Frank Preddy's book, uh, This Present Darkness, even though I, I had read it. Uh, and so when, when this was whispered to me, I actually understood what that meant. Remember the character Hank Bush in that story, if you guys know the, the story? But he's his pastor, small town pastor, little chap. And talk about voice of diminishment. You are nothing, guy. Get out of here. This town doesn't want to hear you. It was, so when that was spoken to me. It's like it dignified the battle. It's like, no, the enemy's brought in a big prince to stop you, Eric, because what you're doing matters. That's all I needed. I just needed a little whisper. Sometimes you just need to know from the God ledger how important 
what you're doing is. And that little line is what I needed. We all need that. We need to remember that our battle matters. The enemy will say that we're nothing, that we're a little, you know, nobody, and that no, no difference is going to be made in this world, no matter how hard we work, no matter how loud we shout. And yet, the Spirit of God, in just those right moments, will come in and establish the truth. Now, that isn't actually the truth I want you to stand on, nor is it the truth I want to stand on. It's some whisper in the night. I'm not looking for some subjective basis for my confidence. I want the Word of God. Okay, that's not the word of God. That's, that's a, I mean, it, it is in a, 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 a rhema sort of sense, but not in the logos sense. I want to stand upon something firm. However, I just want you to know that the spirit of God is very intimate in how he walks us through this. He understands what we're going through, and he knows how to fortify us in the midst of it. So the operation of diminishment, what is its goal? Well, it's to make you feel small, insignificant, and unwanted. And as a result, gets you to give up on your commission to do a great work for Christ. Because each one of us is stirred. When we come to Christ, we have this desire to do something great for him. Now, at first, you could say, and the devil will whisper, it's like, you're so egotistical that you want to do something great. Aren't you willing to do something small? And then we have to wrestle through that. It's, yes, God, I'm willing to do something small. But our desire to do something great doesn't have to be a bad self-centered desire. It's a desire for his glory. We want to do something that shines him to the world. God, if you would condescend to use this vessel, oh, it would be the greatest privilege. That's just a normal transaction of soul. However, the devil wants us to give up on that desire. Because like, who are you to think that God would use someone like you? You see, there's talented people out there. You're not one of those. There's people that are popular. They're good looking. They're athletic. You're not one of those. It's like, who are you to think that God would want to use you? Now, it's funny because if you know the terrain of scripture, you know that God delights to use weak things. However, the devil doesn't remind you of that, which is why you need the truth underneath your feet. So the kindergartner scribble. Do you remember those days when you would scribble a little drawing for your parents and they would, you know, you'd give it to your parents and they would get so excited about it and they'd be like, oh, this is so nice. You are a great artist. And then they'd stick it on the refrigerator and we would feel like a great artist. And then you look at that scribble 15 years later and you're like, that thing was a disaster area. But when you were looking at it, it looked really good. And you actually thought you were the best artist in the world, right? You remember those days? And your parents were part of the elaborate hoax to cause you to think that you were better than you were, okay? Now, the devil plays this very line against you, okay? He reminds you of your kindergartner scribble, and he reminds you of the hoax that your parents got excited about you and your talent when in actuality you weren't that good, right? And so then the enemy turns this as you get older and says, you remember that kindergartner scribble? That's what your life is now. You think you're doing something grand. You think that you're capable of impacting the world for Christ. But everyone's just going along with the ruse. They're smiling. They're patting you on the back. And then they whisper to each other going, that's a joke. This guy's terrible. It's part of the voice of diminishment. It's sort of like the Truman Show where there's this alternate reality. Everyone else knows what's real and you're the fool in the drama. You're the idiot that doesn't see that you really are a joke. Okay? This is a very normal 
thing that the enemy will play upon the saints of God. So the kindergartner scribble, it's actually an artistic train wreck, but no one is going to tell you that. And therefore, that is your life. It's an artistic train wreck. It's, it's a joke. And everyone knows that except for you. Okay, Classic enemy where he tries to put you in a corner and make you feel like you're the odd man out in the whole situation. So the voice of diminishment, what does it say? Here's just some quotes. Ha ha, are you still yammering over there? Look, you're still talking as if someone's listening. Do you actually think people care about what you have to say? You're a joke. Everyone laughs at you when your back is turned. You don't have anything to offer. Just sit down and shut up. You are past your prime, old timer. You're expired. Your best years are behind you. That's the one I've been getting lately. Uh, I'm an old timer. Isn't that funny? I'm 49 and I'm an old timer. According to the devil, I'm an old timer. According to me, I'm very young. Okay, I just want you guys to know that. I'm very young. <clears throat> our response. So in scripture, there is a lot to say on our response. Okay, now this is a summation. I think it's maybe one of the best summations in the Bible. I, I shared this on Friday as well. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You have been given the equipment to stand. So wear it. It is the life, the power, the work of Jesus Christ. And it is able, it is efficacious to perform precisely what you need. So on Friday, I talked about the despondent Christian. Today, I want to talk about the insecure Christian. And I'm gonna make this statement. The insecure Christian is the ineffective Christian. When you listen to the devil, what it breeds is a certain degree of insecurity. And so as a result, when you lose your security, just think about the word security. You see, we are secure in Christ Jesus. And we are walled in. We are fortified. We're in a strong tower. That's why we have such confidence. And that's where our boldness and our courage comes from, is our position in Christ, which is why put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. But if you don't feel that armor, if you sense that you're vulnerable to the enemy, maybe he's right, maybe I am vulnerable to these fiery arrows, then suddenly you become an ineffective Christian. Now I'm gonna say it a different way. The insecure Christian is a silent and often passive Christian. You lose your boldness, you lose your moxie when you begin to feel that you're a joke. It's just, it's a weird effect upon the soul. When you feel that maybe the enemy's right. Maybe no one does want to hear this. Maybe I am just a laughing matter. You find yourself diminishing. Your lion's roar begins to be lost. So there is a tactical maneuver being wielded against us to shut us up. The key is we have to recognize, tag it for what it is, and get the lion roar back. Insecure. So this is, uh, I think this is 1820, no, this, they didn't have the word insecure, well, in 1828 dictionary, I don't remember, we'd have to check it, I didn't put the, uh, the bibliography on this one. Insecure, not firmly fixed, liable to give way or break. Isn't that an interesting description for insecure? It makes sense, because when we think of insecure, we think of the emotional version of insecurity, but if something is insecure, bless you, it is not firmly fixed. It is liable to give way or break. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to knock us out of our position so that we lose our framework and our founding. 
We're able to be broken into. Isn't that an interesting uh, statement? If something is insecure, that means it's not a secure environment. So the enemy can break into it. So it's able to be broken into. We don't want to be an insecure environment that the enemy can actually break into. This is the one we're most familiar with when we're talking about insecurity, and that is not confident or assured, uncertain and anxious. This is what the voice of diminishment is after, right there. It wants to remove your firmness of foundation. It, remont- it wants to remove your confidence, your certainty, so that you waffle. You are not strong in your projection of the gospel, and as a result, you lose your effectiveness. If any of you have ever gone through a season where you f- begin to feel small and like you're a joke, you'll notice that you're not very bold. When you recognize who you are in Christ, it's incredible how that turns. You must not become the insecure Christian. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So what are our tools? So these are the same tools I went through before. I'm going to go through them quicker. See, God has not left us without a hope. He has not left us without all the necessary, required tools to accomplish what we are called to do. So we can resist, rebuke, and wrestle. Now remember, these are all R's, and so for those of you that missed my Friday uh, message, wrestle, I know some of you are going to, that starts with a W. Yeah, but I made the W really small on the screen, so the R is really big, so it makes it look like it's in the uh, R category. You can resist, rebuke, and wrestle in the name of Jesus. You have the authority to actually take command of this situation. You can also remember, rouse, rehearse, and remind the devil. I love this list. You can remember. What are you remembering? You're remembering the victory of the cross. You're remembering what that shed blood has accomplished. You do know what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to purchase you with his shed blood. You actually are property of the most high God. The enemy can diminish that all day long. However, God is putting a value upon you that is at the most high levels of extremity. You are worth the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The devil can say you're nothing, but hey, it's sort of hard to argue when you start getting your facts straight. So remember, and then rouse the soul. Rouse the soul to remember you're a child, an adopted child of the king of kings. Rehearse the truth to your soul and remind the devil of his defeat. Oh, and don't forget to freshly ratify the hope that is yours in Christ. Rejoice in the amazing faithfulness of our God and worship. Now, I know worship doesn't start with an R, but you'll notice I made the W-O on the front end very small, so it looks like it's worship, right? And worship him for his goodness, constancy, mercy, and unending love. You see, when you actually handle this battle the way God intends you to handle it, it actually leads to greater strength. And that's the key thing that I want to lift to the surface is we do not fear this battle. This battle, actually, if the devil wants to mess with the saints of God, he's only strengthening us. So as a result, God is leveraging the enemy's wickedness to build up his saints. So let's look at what our scriptural ground is because our scriptural ground isn't it's Raphar that opposes you. Okay, I don't want any of you to build your life around that. I want you to build your life around what the word of God actually says. Can diminishment really stand up against God's word? So what we're just going to go through is a very quick analysis of what Ephesians chapter one and two declare about you and about me. 
as those who are believers in Christ Jesus, which is who it's talking to, what does it say about us? We have been blessed in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ to be holy. So just pause for a second. We have the word of God being stated to our soul. I don't care what the devil has to say. What does God say? If you know that you are a believer in Christ, this literally is the reality of you. He chose us in Christ to be blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons. We are literally sons and daughters of the Most High God. He made us accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. In him we have redemption through his blood. You are redeemed. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven. In him the riches of his grace abound toward us in wisdom. In him the riches of his grace abound toward us in prudence. In him the mystery of his will is made known to us. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We may receive wisdom and knowledge of Christ. The eyes of our understanding can be enlightened to know, and this is a list of what we can know, the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, the power of Christ's resurrection, the present preeminent position and authority of Christ Jesus enthroned in the heavenly places. These are all entrusted to us. The devil's saying we're nothing, we're worthless, yet God has purchased us. He's gone out of his way to redeem us with his very life and look at what he has given to us and entrusted to us. He has quickened us and made us alive. He has made us alive together with Christ. He has saved us by grace. He has raised us up together with him to heavenly places. He has made us sit together with him in heavenly places. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by ourselves, by any of our works. We were saved by the gift of God. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works for God has works for us to walk in that he ordained long ago. In Christ, we who were far off have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. Christ is our peace. Christ has made us one with God. Christ has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Christ has reconciled us unto God. We have access by one spirit unto the Father. We are no longer strangers and foreigners to the household of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are now the, of the household of God. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are built upon Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. In Christ, we are built and growing into a holy temple. In Christ, we are being built as a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. I mean, it's just an amazing list. And to recognize that this is our counter. We actually have grounds on which we stand. We are not just hoping that we, and hoping and hoping and hoping that we're something special. Oh, that we are valuable. The devil's whispering to us, you're nothing. We're like, no, I'm something. And then he goes, how do you know that? Give me some evidence. Give me some proof. We have it. God has made this statement. That was, I, was listening, I was doing a study on Winston Churchill. And I'm trying to remember uh, the guy that did War of the Worlds. What, what, what's that guy's name? Uh, he did H.G. Yeah, Wells. Yes. So H.G. Wells was in an interview, and he knew a lot of great men. He knew Winston Churchill. And uh, he describes this one situation where he's in a, uh, 
like a uh, restaurant in Italy, I, I, I think it was, I, I don't remember, I could get some of the data incorrect in this, and uh, he's trying to get the funding for one of his movies, okay, so he still didn't have a big name yet uh, for, for what he was trying to do, and he was trying to convince this, this guy that he could do it, and that the movie he would make would be worth it, and the guy was skeptical, and in walks Winston Churchill, and Winston Churchill recognizes H.G. Wells, knows who he is, and nods at him and smiles. And the guy, the, the investor, looks over at H.G. Wells and sort of like, okay, let's sign this deal. Uh, and it was interesting because it's just sort of the same type of a thing. The devil can whisper all he wants. But then Jesus Christ walks through the room, the king of all kings, looks our way, nods, and he says, he's with me. We, I, I don't like when, when Christians make this huge emphasis about how important they are, okay? That's always a little uncomfortable for me because I always want to talk about how important Jesus is. However, not to diminish, when we talk about how important Jesus is, he has dignified us in and through purchasing us with his blood. And so when the enemy hits us, we do need to know the grounds upon which we stand. We need to know that he has gone out of his way to purchase us. And it is true, you know, that one statement, it's like if we were the only one on earth, he would have come for us. You know, you sort of feel like it's been used, I can't say it now, but it's still true. The value that he has for the individual is proven with his shed blood. And so as a result, we need an answer to the voice of diminishment. So on Friday, I talked about the judo move, not because I'm a judo expert, but it's leveraging the enemy's evil movements against him. It's his height, his weight. When you know how to leverage the enemy's movement against you, you take it and use it against him. So you actually are able to flip him, and the bigger he is, the heavier he is, the harder he's going to fall. So a well-handled judo move on the voice of diminishment, it can help the Christian regain and regrip the profound importance and value of their individual life within the body of Christ, within the framework of his unfolding purposes in this world. Every single one of you needs to know that you matter. Every single one of you needs to know that in the body of Christ, the body of Christ is designed with you in mind. The purposes, his unfolding purposes in this world have you in mind. In other words, your role is critical in seeing God's purposes played out. There is not one Christian who is to be diminished in that. In fact, we as the body of Christ need to labor to help those members that are less seen to know their value and their importance. Because there's certain members in the body of Christ that are more obvious and their talents more evident that is sometimes a tripping point because what we need to establish in the body of Christ is the value of the believer. We are all entrusted with a gift and with an ability to bring to the service of the king. And when we recognize that in the body, we're able to do something as a body that cannot be done any other way. And all of us are required. Every one of us in our own unique way play an Esther role where we have to make a choice to stand up in our unique position and do what God has asked of us. You know, and Malach, or Mordecai, uh, when, when he's talking to Esther, and Esther's thinking, I don't know that I can do this. It's like, and even if you don't, God will raise up an answer. However, 
Each of us has an Esther opportunity in our life. The devil wants to discourage us from standing up and doing precisely what we were built to do for such a time as this. So let's finish with this uh, poem from Letty Kalman. She's the writer of Streams in the Desert. And ever so often throughout her Streams in the Desert, she'll put a selected. Uh, and you're like, where's she getting that from? Well, she's quite the poet. Pressed out of measure and pressed to all length. Pressed so intensely it seems beyond strength. Pressed in the body and pressed in the soul. Pressed in the mind till the dark surges roll. Pressure by foes and pressure from friends. Pressure on pressure till life nearly ends. Pressed into knowing no helper but God. Pressed into loving the staff and the rod. Pressed into liberty where nothing clings. Pressed into faith for impossible things. Pressed into living a life in the Lord. Pressed into living a Christ life outpoured. You see, what starts as a difficulty, I'm being pressed out of measure and pressed to all lengths. I'm being pressed so intensely it seems beyond strength. What you see it turn into is pressure upon pressure till life nearly ends, but you're pressed into knowing no helper but God, and you're pressed into loving the staff and the rod. And you're pressed into liberty where nothing clings, and you're pressed into faith for impossible things. You see, all of this movement of the enemy to discourage and to diminish and to weigh us down is being transformed, and we're pressed into living a life in the Lord, and we're pressed into living a Christ life outpoured. Boy, the enemy blew it on that one. And that's the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, we are a target. But yes, we have the armor of Christ in which we can stand against the wiles of the evil one. We have a shield of faith which repels all his fiery darts. Father, we as your body freshly ratify the fact that we are in Christ Jesus by faith. And Lord, we freshly ratify the fact that you have bought us and purchased us with your blood. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have value not because of anything we have brought to the table, but because you have given us, have placed a value upon us. You have stipulated, you have stated, you have made clear that we are worth your life. And Lord, as hard as that is for many of us to grip, to grapple with, to swallow, Lord, we believe it. And we want to walk in that reality and shove that reality down the enemy's throat. For the glory of King Jesus, we pray this. It's in the precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.